I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with a close friend and former schoolmate, Miriam Vergara, a Brooklyn-born Mexican-American textile artist and educator. In our conversation, we talk about her recent residency in Sweden, as well as her ancestral connection to textile making and processing. Hey, Miriam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Can you start out by giving us an introduction to yourself and telling us how you found your way into the world of textiles and weaving? Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the biggest memories that I have growing up with textiles is that uh, because of like the immigration background that I have with my family, I grew up around a lot of like factories, like clothing factories and immigrant factory workers. So I was like always watching people like sewing for like large companies. And within that time when I would be walking with my mom, I would always be collecting like small little pieces of fabric, like threads, just like a bunch of discard waste that I knew that like the companies wouldn't be using, but to me they were super valuable. And it was always just like this thought in my head that I would like create something out of it. But even at that age, I didn't know that I wanted to be a textile artist. I was just like had a fascination for like threads and the fabric just as itself. Um, And that was since I was like in elementary school. I guess I just identify as like a textile artist and like textile educator since like those worlds go together very well. And there's just like, a few other worlds that combine as well but it's just that textile is like the practice and method that I feel connects everything together and helps me like talk with the world you know Mm. and what would you say was the transition from it being something that you were around to something that you made your practice out of I think that started around high school. In high school, I really wanted to start learning to sew. And so um, I started gaining this mentorship with this like seamstress and she was really good. So I would like do some work with her and she would do like mini projects with me. And then um, I would just be like telling my friends that I did textile. So I was always doing like a lot of repairs for them and like starting like mini companies with my friends and they would be like the salesperson I would be the one making it and then I think when I was entering college it's or during my process of college is when I started deciding that I wanted to continue learning about textiles but like rather than like creating wearable pieces I wanted to know how the actual fabric started to be made so I started getting more interested in like how things were being dyed and like natural dye processes and then also just like the process of creating a fabric before it becomes something that gets cut up and turned into clothing and then that in itself became the journey of like how I became the identity of like identifying with an artist rather than other identities like designer or something like that hmm And how did you find yourself specifically into natural textiles and weaving? I think a part of that is because of the fact that I was around such like big companies and seeing all the waste that gets produced and just like probably watching documentaries as a kid 
and I like never wanted to be like a company or a person that contributed to the waste and so I just like wanted all of my practices to be like very eco-conscious like I wanted to use like recycled materials or materials that were would otherwise be like thrown away and then reusing like odd objects so I do a lot of like scavengering through like recycled materials and trash that people like throw out on like dumpster days um, just so that they get a life again. It's really interesting to hear you kind of talk about the fact that you were kind of inspired by being around these large corporations and these really big like mills and um, garment making facilities. Because when I think of your work, I think a lot about intimacy and really, really small sort of cozy I don't know. I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what word to use, but you know, I just get a really like cozy feeling when I look at your work, especially when I saw the pieces that you did when you had your show in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of talk about what inspires you as far as like the ancestral connection and how you've kind of taken these very like manufacturing corporate types of like yarns and waste and have made it these very intimate pieces Mm -hmm. I think a part of the reason why like I guess the juxtaposition right between like growing up seeing the corporate world and then wanting to create something like small and like just like knowing the sources is part of the reason that like I also had an identity with like the immigrant workers and like knew how they were how much they were getting paid and didn't really feel like what they were doing was valued for how much they were being paid. And so I feel like that's also what I do. Like, it's like part of like showing people that like our practices of like manual work is very important and that it's not always just about the industry. It's about like what our hands can do. And so it's like when I'm in Mexico and like, I'm meeting like other crochet workers, like I like a lot of the conversations that I used to have, is just kind of like, I'm a textile artist and they'd be like, oh, so does that mean you want to like work with like the large machines, like where they're just constantly producing like miles of like knitted fabrics or miles of like woven fabrics. And it's just kind of like, no, because that just like leads to the production of waste. But it's like what I really value is like the hand practices, because it's just like knowing now that there's a lot of communities that like grew up crocheting and like weaving. And now the like current generations aren't like as interested. And so it's like a part of me is like wanting to continue to hold those traditions and wanting to continue to let them live to show like younger kids the beauty of it. That way that they're inspired, you know, I feel like if you teach people with your enthusiasm, they'll see the beauty of it as well, rather than it feeling like a chore. Yeah. Mm. So I think that's part of my teaching part of it. And then other parts of the just the show that you were talking about in Brooklyn, it was definitely intimacy based. And I was thinking about it the other day and just it's like it's so like object based and like memory based. And because of the fact that like just the identity of like being like first generation Mexican and like trying to navigate in the United States, what that even means and like having to like literally live in two different worlds because it's like at home, all of my like language is Spanish speaking and all of my culture is Mexican. But then it's like in like my school, I have to be speaking English and like, you know, just kind of like 
accommodate and conform to like what Amer- whatever American society is. And so it's like, with my show, I had a lot of objects that tied to like certain memories of like growing up and like why they were meaningful to me and showing that like, we create power with objects and like with textiles as well, just like all the work that you put into a textile is like memories that you're putting in, you know, like your mind doesn't go blank when you're weaving. It's just always working, but it's like, there is a sense of peace that goes along with it. You know, it's almost like you're healing your traumas through weaving or something. Mm, That's super interesting. I have so many new questions that have kind of come up from that Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, But the first thing that I do want to talk about is you within the past year were in Mexico and did a lot of textile work and met a lot of people. Can you talk about that experience and sort of like your ancestral connection to textiles and making? Yeah, I remember it was like I graduated from college and I was talking with one of my professors and she was asking me about like, well, my next steps were And I have always, like, dreamed about, like, moving to Mexico after I graduated. And I literally, I was always just, like, waiting to finish, like, my educational career for me to, like, finally live my life in whatever meaning that is. And, and so at that moment, it was, like, moving wanted to be there. And so I went there, like, with the intention that I might not come back. And I left with, like, two suitcases and was greeted by like one of my cousins and my aunt and I stayed with them and then just like went through the whole journey because of the fact that I have so many family members there I stayed with one family member for a bit then I went to my hometown stayed with another family member connected with them and throughout that journey of being with family members I was talking about my love for textiles and trying to like just like connect with them in like a solo way because of the fact that like I was always going to Mexico with my family and I was coming as like a new person that is like trying to be comfortable in my skin and confident. And so it's just kind of like telling myself that I'm the one that has to create connections with my family members. Like nobody's forcing me to do it, but also because of that intention, it was all like really pure apart and like wanting to learn more about my family and like just wanting to do more like textile research along the way so of course that involves so much conversation and like hearing if anybody knows of anybody or if anybody knows of a technique and so I did a lot of like I did with my cousins we would do some drawing exercises they would talk to me about like their love for farming and I have this younger cousin her name is Carmelita and she basically learned how to embroider pillows by her mom and so did her Mm. other sisters her other sisters learned how to embroider pillows and basically just like those stories that I would that I would hear it was just that like my grandma and just like our my aunts in general like would you do that as like a hobby but then also as a way of like continuing to like help out with their family members so it's just like they even now like my family members like embroider it and then they basically sell it or trade it for whatever they need so there's that um and then I got really lucky because I ended up going to another town nearby where another aunt of mine lives and I was with my other cousins and there I was talking with my cousin Erica and she um had actually stayed 
when she was going through like her college years, she stayed in the community or near community that was like a weaving community, basically. And actually, they were weaving, and also they did the the cross stitching. So they have a very particular like design that's like incorporated into their like community. And so, with her help, I was able to like find the host family and also find the teacher, like with the host family's help, since they had a lot of connections with like the community and they were teachers, so they like just knew a lot of people. And then, um, I basically created like a two or three week program with my teacher, and like he taught me how to like backstrap weave. And then what was beautiful because I told him like it's not just about the learning aspect; it's like the fact that I'm trying to connect with people. So I would like eat lunch with his family every day, and we would just like talk about life. And he was very like willing to like let me be creative because of the fact that I collect trash. I still did it in Mexico and like there it's even more weird than here. Um, so it's just like, <laughs> why do you say it's weird? Because like the way that trash is seen in Mexico, it's, it's seen as trash, trash, you know, like in the United States, like there's like more of the idea of recycling, but like in Mexico, once you throw something in the trash, it's like, why do you want to touch that? It's dirty, you know? Mm, and like, okay. Yeah. I would, like, just pick things up from the ground because I liked how they looked. And so with my teacher, he was completely, like, okay with me doing that. Like, he didn't, like, shun me. But, like, with my family members, it was a little bit more hard to do that. Yeah. Um, But it was a really beautiful experience. Um, I connected so much with, like, my host family. And, like, I I mean, I call them, like, my cousins. And, um... Yeah, there was, and even, like, my teacher and his family, they were just, like, so beautiful, and I was, like, always, like, hanging out with, like, his little, what is it, nieces and nephews, and they would come to the river with us because I, like, loved, a part of it was, like, the hiking and then the textiles combined it, so we would, like, hike to this river that I like to be at, and then we would, like, connect the backstrap loom, and just, like, I would just start weaving there for a few hours until it was time to go and, like, hike back up. And then he also did a few, um, he did, like, a small, like, natural textile technique as well because he, he knows a lot about natural dyes. And it was so cool just because we had to, like, scavenger for the pieces. And, like, we had to, what was nice was that we even were able to find wool. We bought wool there. And then since it was unclean, we had to wash it ourselves. And he taught me how to find these, like, roots. They're called amole, but basically, like, once you smash them, they, like, foam up, and they're really soapy, and it's, like, the, it's natural soap, basically. It was, like, what his family used growing up to wash their clothes, so that's what we used to wash the wool. Wow, that is so cool. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah. Did you learn um, any new weaving techniques while you were in Mexico? Um. In general, I learned just, like, how to set up a backstrap loom and just that whole process. Um, just because of their location, they do, they're, they're more, like, like, the weaving is the canvas, and then the embroidery is, like, what is the, like, you know, the main show. And so, 
he knew a lot more or no he knows a lot but like he a lot of his work is like doing embroidery so I did a lot of plain weave and then I think I was like experimenting with using like four lines of weft at, at the same time and then when I showed his family the end product they're like wow we've never done it this way that's pretty cool and so it was like a nice like collaborative experience for them to see like how something can be like it like it was also plain weave but just like even experimenting with like the thickness was different for them hmm. a lot of people who listen to this podcast are weavers mm-hmm. we've had people who use rigid heddle looms we have people who use floor looms um we have mm-hmm. people who are hand weavers um so i'm just kind of curious if you find yourself more drawn toward a particular weaving style or do you kind of mm-hmm. just play with all of them i think i play with all of them but because of accessibility and because i like to travel and move around a lot um i have different size like hand looms basically So the one that I take with me that I travel with is about like 12, like a foot by a foot basically. And then that Mm -hmm. one has like pegs like every centimeter away. So I can make it, the biggest it can be is like 12 by 12, right? But it can be smaller than that as well. Um, So -hmm. that's always fun to have with me. And then usually I have other ones, like the ones that I would still carry with me are maybe like three by three. And then the ones that I would have at home are like maybe like... Mm, maybe like six feet by six feet is that right Mm. that seems right no that's taller than me yeah that's pretty big (laughs) (laughs) yeah hold on no I think it's the ones that I carry at home the ones that I have at home are three feet and then the ones that I would take like carry by with me like in Sweden I was carrying back and forth one that was like maybe I actually think I measured it to be a foot. So the one that I have at home, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> my travel one is smaller <laughs> than that then. It's probably like seven inches. The thing is, is that I buy the wood and they're six feet, but because I cut them up and I buy two pieces, they're three feet. So it's a three by three room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, so can you talk <laughs> about your residency in Sweden and um, what kind of work you did there? Mm-hmm. In Sweden, that was a six-week program. Um, it was my first artist residency, and then it was cool because it was also their first time having an artist come to their hometown. Um, they basically received like a fund from somebody who used like a fund from somebody who used to live in that area. Um, so I had proposed the six-week program. It was very much like wanting to learn about traditional Swedish textiles, like wanting to integrate and like learn like historical information from like residents and like be around nature and just like learn more about like their landscape and see if anything has changed or just like, yeah, just if anything has changed throughout the years or just what their concerns are. Um, so my actual project was like natural dyes um so I did a lot of bundle dyeing projects that was time-based and I worked with a few different classes doing that so we did one that was just like steam bundle dyeing 
And then we did another one that we buried it into the earth and had it like basically like, you know, soaking up in the earth juices <laughs> for like a week or two. And then we brought it back up. And that was like a nice experience to have with the students because they, you know, everybody starts to have their own ideas of what it is. So they really like the ones that I showed them that look like onions or like garlics, basically. So there are a few students that really like rolling them up in garlic or like as garlic shaped. And then there were other ones I was telling them about like the shape that bundles can be used. So we were using like a cotton warp, basically to wrap it up just so that we could reuse the warp afterwards in the weaving. And um, I was telling them about the shape of it and like the organicness of the shape. Like it doesn't always have to be long. You can like manipulate it and have it squiggle like a snake or something like that or however you want it to be. If you want it to be a circle, you can like manipulate it into a circle. So that was part of the process. And also just like the beauty of like laying like these natural dyes and this plant matter on fabric and then rolling it up and then teaching them about these ideas of like patience and like letting go of expectations and like allowing the textile piece to speak for itself and to just kind of like turn into something that you would have never expected but in itself it's beautiful um and then there was a lot of experimentations of like uh, putting bundles by the sea and letting like the sand do its work. And then there were a few, uh, sorry, there was so much that so, happened. <laughs> yeah, no, actually I kind of wanted to go back. So when you say you were letting the sand do the work, what exactly was the process that was happening? Was that what was sort of making the dye uh, adhere to the fabric? Yeah, so the part of the concept is that, like, each, like, earth has its own minerals, right? And so for some of them, I had, like, pre-mordanted with iron or added iron onto it. And then other ones, I just kind of left plain to see what would happen. So I, I didn't put any mordant on it at all. Um, and my hope was that basically there would be certain elements in the earth that would help create those dyes or help, like, color shift in some way right um so by putting it in the sand the the sand that I put it in it was like there was plants growing there you know so it was like a shift between dirt into the sand where I had ended up planting um but yeah my hope was that it would rain since it was a rainy location it would rain and then that would help penetrate the fabric and then just like the moisture of the sand will also do it and what's interesting is that it actually it ha like since I rinsed it off at the sea now those fabrics have like the smell of like seawater you know so it's like that's part of the process as well like every fabric is going to have a different smell depending on where you put it so like the ones that I put in the earth they like have like an earthy smell you know the ones that I put in the water have like the sea smell and what were some of the results of your dye experiment? Mm -hmm. um, it was a lot of like, well, I was using like turmeric and kutch and matter. I like really liked matter at that time. Um, mm, yeah, and we had like walnut beautiful. and things like that. Yeah. So 
right now like the piece that i'm thinking of that was at the sea it was like a red and yellow like stripe design it was really nice i liked it it was like one of my favorite pieces there was like other aspects like i got the chance to meet other textile artists who were like way older than me so like you know they were just like so had so much knowledge on like their weaving and like they were just like experienced dyers and had their own dye lab and it was like so beautiful <laughs> to visit mm. their homes and to see how their studios were done and to see like just the, the like vast like how do you say it? like the vast techniques that they used because some of them was mm. just like oh yeah this is like my own personal technique and then other ones were like i'm doing like the traditional swedish technique you know um so that was really beautiful to see. And yeah, I got to like learn with one of the weavers there. Um, she was like, she uses, I might mess up the name, but it's it's called like a, a gubelin, a gubelin loom. And it's like an upright loom, basically. And it's like a tapestry loom. So she used oh, those wow, a lot. Oh, that's super and a interesting. Lot. Yeah, a lot of them use, like, upright tapestry looms. Um, and she also had this tool that I, like, literally fell in love with. And she let me keep it, which I was, like, really happy about it. Because um, she kind of said I was, like, obscure to find it. Especially, like, I guess in the area that I was in. But um, it's, like, it was, like, a wooden piece. And it's, like, rounded at the end for you to, like, be able to hold it. And at the tip, it's, like, just, like, really pointy. Like, um, if you were to use, like, the end of it, it could, like, poke, it could, like, find the hole of a weaving, basically, because um, it's just, like, that fine. But basically, I would use it to, like, bring down the threads, and it, it just, it just did such a great job when I was weaving, and I loved it so much, and, like, it was such a handy tool, and I'm, like, why am I using combs when I can use this beautiful tool that, like, works so well, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just want to share this one thing. There was another tool, and I don't think I had the name of it, but basically I learned of another textile tool that it almost does, like, lace work, but with just, like, one bobbin. And I was just like, wow. Like, it was just so cool to learn that there's, like, tools, like, textile tools that I, like, haven't even learned about yet, you know? And I think that that's one of the takeaways, like you mentioned. Like, just, like seeing that there's like different like methods of getting like the same results and like different tools that are used and how maybe those like work better for your hand you know mm, yeah so you kind of mentioned about linking up with um different generation uh textile artists that are older of different generations mm -hmm. can you kind of talk about your experience as you know a young emerging textile artist in the world of textiles and sort of what your experience has been like um interacting with them or just like in I would say in general I guess I'm kind of curious because I'm asking also for myself because you know I think there's like two years between the two of us um and we're both mm -hmm. sort of entering this world of textiles we're both like emerging artists and through this podcast I've listen to Sarah's episodes where she's talked to a lot of career textile artists who have had careers longer than I've, you know, been alive. And um, mm -hmm. 
hearing all of their knowledge and their wisdom. And uh, there's this been this resurgence of interest in textiles and interest in weaving Mm -hmm. and interested in like artisanal handmade goods. And so I guess I'm just wondering um, if you can talk about how you're feeling in this world, you know, as a young fiber artist. Mm -hmm. I think what was beautiful about Sweden and I talked about it a lot with them was that like, because I was going there as an artist, you know, and, for a program I was like you know what I can be as weird as I want and what I mean by that is that like I can literally I can be me you know because like just like when you when you invite an artist you kind of anticipate them to be a little bit weird or at least that's how I feel you know um and so like they were fine with letting me explore with like how I wanted to explore you know so it's like I integrated like rust, which was not in my proposed plan, but because I saw how much importance it had in their community and like how prevalent it was even in just like their like infrastructures of houses. I like basically created a project to experiment and kind of pay homage to like that beauty of like the rust that exists there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the beautiful part like the emerging artist thing it's like I think there's a lot of insecurities that comes along because of the fact that you know that there's other people that are experienced and it's just kind of like maybe there's like some type of self-doubt so it's a lot of like allowing yourself to trust yourself and to like acknowledge all the experience that you gain because when I was teaching it's like everybody was like wow that's crazy or like you know, taking it in, but for them, it's their first time. So it's like, in comparison to the people that I'm teaching, it's like, of course, I'm a knowledgeable person, you know, like, to them, I I am this person who like knows so much about textiles, because I've already had like, you know, like, maybe like five years, maybe more, like, you know, it's hard to tell how long I've been in textiles because of how I integrated myself into it. But it's like, I have this years of experience, you know. So that's part of it. And I think that's something to value about yourself. Just like, even though you are new to this world, it doesn't mean that your experience isn't meaningful. Like everything that you've learned and everything that you're teaching, it's like, it's all part of the process. And it's like, you you learned that at one point and now you're mastering it, you know? So I think that's a part of it. And it's just like, once you're in the zone, or at least once I'm in the zone for like teaching, it's like, like everything makes sense to me you know and it's also like the way that I teach and the way that I show textiles it's like like learning to like teaching people to like trust themselves and to just like be Mm -hmm. okay with experimenting you know and Mm -hmm. it's like I teach them like the basics I'm just kind of like okay this is what this does and like if they have questions I answer them like about different fabrics different like cottons like you know things like that and then it's just like okay now it's like your turn to experiment you know because like now you have to find it within yourself to like find the beauty that I see you know like I'm showing you the samples and the examples of like what I am able to make and just like the concepts that I make along with it and just like create something for yourself that speaks to you and then like take it with you in the world you know Mm. Yeah, that's really beautiful. It's really great advice as well. 
Mm-hmm. You mentioned like um, having self doubt, and earlier you sort of talked about healing and traumas, and mm-hmm. um, that's something that I want to start to include in the podcast. Is sort of talking about how textiles have kind of found ourselves in that space for its um, healing purposes and healing properties. Um, yeah. Can you kind of talk about? maybe how weaving and textiles has affected your mental space, mental health, um, Mm -hmm. stress levels, things of that nature. Yeah. I think what's beautiful about weaving and textiles and the manual work of it is that like, like there's a lot of counting involved, you know? Um, And because of the counting, there's, like, this concept of pattern, right? Because if you want to weave something, sometimes there's patterns involved, or sometimes there's just numbers involved. And so you're in this rhythm, and then even just, like, the way that your feet move if you're on a floor loom, it's just kind of, like, two, one, two, one, or something like that, you know? And, like, so your body enters this rhythm, and therefore your mind enters a rhythm. And with it, it's almost like a transic feeling, you know? And it's just, like, when you're hand-weaving, it's the whole up-down motion. And then eventually your body starts moving, like, up-down, up-down. And then it's just, like, with all that, like, with my weaving, it's, like, I allow the textile to, like, transform into something else. So usually it is based off of, like, a location that I'm seeing or a certain memory that I'm trying to, like, recall or a certain person that I'm trying to pay tribute to, right? And then as the textile continues to move, the textile speaks and it says something. And then I allow the textile to shift for that voice to come up, you know? So like Mm. in the final product, it's like a story between me and the textile and we create the story together, right? So a lot of what I enjoy doing after or before is that it's like there's like a writing that's like along with it. So it's like there's always a story that goes with the textile piece. And like I can recall like where I was doing it or like what I was thinking, what I was feeling. And like that's part of the piece, like that's part of the art, you know. And I think that's part of the healing of it. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Really, really, really beautiful. It's been really great, you know, talking to you and having this conversation. And you kind of already gave some wonderful advice, but I guess I'm going to ask you formally because usually whenever anyone joins a podcast, we ask them Mm -hmm. if they have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts. So is there any lasting note or... um, you know, anything that you want to share with our viewers? I definitely think it's just in general, like learning to trust yourself and like, just, I don't know, the whole idea of self-doubt, like I think that really holds people back. So it's just like letting go of that self-doubt and like, just even if there isn't a response, like being proud of yourself or even like making the attempt is like beautiful in the act itself, you know? So, I mean, I I Mm. think... Like, it always makes me want to cry because it's just kind of like, why are you, like, holding yourself back when this is something that you truly want? So it's just kind of, like, live your life to the fullest and, like, go after those goals that even if they scare you, like, at least you attempted it, you know? And that, the attempt in itself makes you a stronger person and makes you, like, 
more comfortable in your skin and like wants like allows you to kind of like push like even further or even higher for like those dreams that you want you know and then it's beautiful too because once you make it to your dreams you know your dreams always restructure and then you're just like okay what's my next goal so it's just like it's never the end point even if you make it to your goal you just continue to build on it you know Mm. awesome and where on social media and the internet can people follow you and find your work Mm -hmm. right now it is uh instagram and my instagram handle is medihues so it's m-i-r-i-h-u-e-s n-y-c great thank you so much for joining us today thank you (laughs) (laughs) bye bye (laughs) bye that's a wrap if you're interested in finding out ways to support Miriam's work you can find links to her websites at www.justyarn.com slash episode dash 74. Next week on the podcast, Sarah is talking to Emily Winter, the founder of The Weaving Mill, an artist-run industrial weaving studio in Chicago. So stay tuned for that episode next week. Happy weaving!